We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, Max Power in for Jad Chambers. Paul Savage will join us in just a little bit to make some picks. We are happy to be with you today here the day after a Chiefs game. We'll have Chiefs uh, recap. We'll look ahead to the college football weekend, the rest of the NFL weekend, the high school football Friday night with Matt Henderson of Catch It Kansas. Wyatt Thompson, the voice of the K-State Wildcats, joins us a little later in this hour. The IHOP hotline is open for you. Uh, IHOP uh, brings us that. How about the new Nashville hot chicken and waffles? Golden brown Belgian waffle topped with four crispy chicken strips tossed in a spicy Nashville hot sauce. Uh, We are glad to be here with you today. Tommy, uh, I, I I feel your pain a million times over. As the Braves go down last night, um, there were a couple of times where I thought they were going to get it for you, but they didn't. Uh, if you need more coverage now that the ALCS and NLCS are set, by the way, you can check out on the Odyssey app, John Boy Media's Baseball Today. Uh, that's available for you every day. But, Tommy, that was uh, that was tough. I thought they were going to get there. Um, and they just, you know, the Phillies, just like last postseason, are white hot. It was rough, uh, and that Phillies lineup is extremely dangerous. Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos with four home runs in two games to close out the series for the Phillies. They did what they needed to do, and and the Braves, that historic offense that they had all season long, the bats kind of went quiet, and then the pitching just really couldn't hang on. And, And honestly, Spencer Strider, I don't think, pitched a terrible game. He got into a lot of jams. Uh, but then, no. you know, it just really, he didn't get any run support. And that was a, a big issue in game one. It was a big issue in game four and the Braves go home uh, after winning the winning more games than any other team in the regular season. And that's the way that postseason baseball works sometimes. It's always the danger, right? When you're built on offense, that an offense in baseball can go cold real fast. And so that, you know, it's tough. It's tough. The Phillies are in. They'll take on the Diamondbacks. Rangers will take on the Astros. Um, you know, the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, sort of the upstarts here. The the Phillies and the Astros, of course, no stranger to this, looking to go back to the World Series. But those series get going this weekend. Uh, Tommy, it was a Chiefs night. Let's begin there. Look, we said that if we didn't see enough out of the offense, we would become concerned. I saw enough out of the offense as far as moving the ball. I know they didn't do well in the red zone. It was a special teams clinic last night for the Chiefs and a really strong defensive performance. I thought probably their best defensive performance. Again, Denver has been scoring. Denver's issues have not been on offense. They've been on defense. Uh, and I thought Kansas City, you know, they moved the ball enough, almost 400 yards of total offense, that 
I actually do feel like there was progress met last night made with the offense. I think that there was. Um, I think that it is okay to say that the Chiefs are having issues in the red zone. They had issues a week ago sure. against Minnesota. They had issues last night in the red zone as well. Um, and then I also think that, and I've mentioned it before, I don't know if there's a more frustrating team in the National Football League on third and fourth and short conversion plays. Just And because we know that Andy Reid will not, I don't think, ever let Patrick Mahomes sneak the football uh, they they have issues in converting on third and short and fourth and short situations. And, um, you know, sometimes I think Andy Reid gets in his bag a little bit and uh, there was a fake field goal try and just some other plays that really were kind of head scratchers. And especially down into the red zone, it was one thing. It's one thing when you're playing against a team like Denver that is clearly inferior. It's another thing when you get late into the regular season, into the postseason, you know you're going to have these short conversion opportunities. And it, I think it does, it does concern me a little bit that they haven't found their groove on how to convert in those situations in a real and appropriate way. You know, I didn't mind the fake field goal, I think, as much as the public. I think it's one of those, had they converted, everyone would have said, oh, wow, that was a brilliant play call. Uh, I, I liked the idea of it. I thought it was fine, and I think the risk factor was fine, too. Um, you know, I I. I'm with you. The red zone struggles are a problem, but at least they're moving the ball effectively. Um, look, they covered another number, too, by the way, last night. Barely, uh, but they got it. That's two weeks in a row they've covered. This is the Chiefs we're talking, so now maybe we can buck that trend a little bit. But, you know, look, the, the other part of this is, Tommy, like if the defense is this good, and I think that it is, right? It, oddly enough, their worst game came against the Jets, who, you know, don't have Aaron Rodgers. But other than that, they've been, you know, they've been solid all the way through against the run. Feel pretty good about their pass rush, right? You, we, we, you love the secondary, who did just an outstanding job now two weeks in a row. They shut down Justin Jefferson. They held Russell Wilson to under 100 yards passing. The wind, of course, a factor a little bit in the game, probably not as much as we thought. And the Chiefs continued their style of throwing the ball of course, Kelsey was unstoppable. We should have seen that coming. Denver runs so much zone that Kelsey's just going to eat that alive. But, you know, the big story, I think, and, and everybody felt the same thing, was Rasheed Rice continues to look good. He's going to be the guy. I mean, I don't, you know, I I feel like he's gotten bigger, Tommy. Like, it, it looks like he's bigger now than he was maybe in the, I, I don't know, That's that's probably not true at all, but you do, and maybe it's just the perception of the confidence, like his run after the catch, his size is going to play in. And that's really all they need. They need one other guy over the middle. And I think it might be him. I mean, I think we're seeing clear progress each time out. He got more snaps. He rewarded, he, you know, rewarded the confidence with a with a really nice game. And and I'm, you know, the, they utilize the backs, I thought, in the past game better than they have in other games. So I think the offense is coming along, but if they're going to be this good on special teams and this good on defense, I, I mean, it's It doesn't matter. It's going to be fine. They, you know, they, they won't need the offense to be what it has been in years past. Yeah. The thing that, uh, that I think is really important about uh, Rishi Rice stepping up, getting those additional snaps and then paying it off with some pretty decent catches is that, there was the news last night that just Justin Watson went down with an injury 
and Andy Reid said he's got an elbow injury. It's not broken, but we did see him leave the game. And, you know, despite what everybody wants to say about Justin Watson, we've mentioned it before. There's clearly a trust factor between him and Patrick Mahomes. And so losing him, you're losing the guy. And I don't know how long he's going to be out for. But if you do lose him for any period of time, you're losing conceivably the guy that has maybe the most amount of trust outside of Travis Kelsey that Patrick Mahomes has to catch the football. So if you've got Rasheed Rice being able to step up, and I'm not suggesting he fills that role because they're different kinds of wide receivers, but to be able to earn those additional snaps and really see it come to light last night in the game, that's really important for them moving forward. The other thing that I think is you know, incredibly important to point out is that it was another game where Marquez Valdez-Scantling just was not around. I mean, he was on the field, but no catches, no yards, one target the entire game. And this is a guy that, you know, they brought in uh, last season to be maybe not the number one, but to kind of be that over-the-middle guy, that deep ball threat. He's not, it's not happening. Then, you know, it was windy last night, all those other factors that would maybe prevent deep balls from being thrown. But we've, we've documented the struggles of MVS. We've documented the struggles of Sky Moore. Moore had two catches for 22 yards. Really, Rasheed Rice is someone that, while young, and while really new in the NFL, has that opportunity to come in and steal targets and steal catches for the Kansas City Chiefs and be their go-to wide receiver. Yeah, look, I, I, that's all they need. That's it. Like They literally just need one guy to step up. And and that's dangerous too because what if he got hurt? You know, like they they need more than one guy to step up. But for this offense to start humming within each game, they they do need that. I can't believe how ineffective Kadarius Tony's been. I, I mean, I just he had can't a touchdown catch. Had a touchdown yeah, catch last night. I, that's fine. That's fine. It was a designed up play. Uh, yeah. Anybody that was on that design would have been able to make that play. He got to throw but, the football too. I don't know if you saw that trick. He actually play. threw it. Yeah, he actually threw it pretty well. Um, but he is n- absolutely not anything close to what they traded for, right? Like it, his problem for like when we, I, I think we all want to blame Sky more, and he, you know, he's just not been what they thought. Kadarius Tony hasn't done anything, Tommy, and he's been healthy. Like he's back, you know, he's he's clear of that injury to begin the well, year. I don't I mean, think okay. that that's lingering. Like, both things can be true. Uh, Kadarius Tony is not what they traded for, and Sky Moore is not what they expected. Both things can right. absolutely be true. My point is, why aren't we talking about how ineffective Kadarius Tony has been? He doesn't. I think have it's more because than... they, he has been ineffective. But I think it's because there are other receivers that have been more ineffective. Like MVS has been more ineffective than Kadarius Tony. I think Sky Moore. I don't want to say he's been more ineffective, but he's he's up there. And, and you know what? I think that that's that's been the big Achilles' heel. Is that I mean, think about when the I go, I go back to. Uh, after the last preseason game, I think, and right before the opening game, when the Chiefs released their depth chart. And it was clear on that depth chart to start off the season, the, the receivers that were the ones were MVS, Sky Moore, and Kadarius Toney. Those were the three that were listed. Those three are doing nothing collectively and individually. None of them are. So, that, I mean, that's why it's been a breath of fresh air last night to see Rasheed Rice take a step forward. But, man, like the, the ones that the Chiefs documented as being the ones, all three of them have done nothing. I, I, here's, I mean, Kadarius Toney has uh, five, one, two, five, and three, but his yards, 
like his average yards per catch are next to nothing. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, MVS, I, I guess I'm looking at my own expectations here and MVS started the year. Okay. He's just like, he's disappearing now. He has three well, he, catches. He's gone. His, yeah. He's got three two, catches two, in his last one, 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 zero. Yeah. Three and four weeks is not going to work. Sky Moore. I think we probably all just expected too much of, um, yeah. you know, he, he and Mahomes, like Moore has opportunities. He, he and Mahomes just can't get on the same, but they're always just a tick off. But, it, but I don't think that like, I still think he's a part of the plan. MVS may not be. And I don't know what to make of Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony was supposed to be this weapon, right? Like the big issue for him was just to be on the field. And it's like, if it's, it's almost like, here's what it reminds me of is McColl Hardman. Like if it's not a trick play or some schemed up play, He's a non-factor, and I just don't that that surprises me a lot because he was supposed to be the guy that you know because he's done it before. We saw it when he was a rookie with the Giants. When he was on the field, he was really good, and I don't think he's been you know any any sort of a, a problem like he's had in his past as far as like attitude or anything. Like I think he's been fine. He just has been ineffective. So here comes Rasheed Rice, who we we sort of thought would be the slowest going just because he was a rookie. I mean, and he looks significantly better than all of those guys. The question becomes, is that enough? Like, is it enough for just him to step up with Kelsey? Probably is, right? Because that's sort of what we saw out of Juju and Kelsey last year. But it still is very odd that neither Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony can get things going. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, look, you know how I feel. I, I like the player. I like the guy. Sorry, I like the guy. But I've never thought he was going to be very good here. In Kansas City, you know, deep threat maybe, but he's not even that right now. So I don't know what he is. But the other two still don't make a lot of sense to me because those are guys that should be able to to get things done after the catch and whatever. But it, whatever, it doesn't matter. Again, like the point of this to me when I watched that game last night is they moved the ball just fine. Yeah, they screwed up in the red zone and, and messed around. You don't want to see that and continue to see that. But when I'm watching it. When Butker's doing what he's doing, when the special teams elsewhere, and they had the one bobbled punt there that didn't turn out to be anything big, but they are just killing it on special teams right now. And that defense looks as good as it does. I think even if the offense is limited this year, they're the best yeah. team in the AFC considering all the injuries Buffalo's had on the defensive side of the ball. It's also nice to see, and you mentioned it at the beginning of talking about this, that um, Holmes did utilize the running backs to, to catch passes more last night. Isaiah Pacheco had a good game, both running and receiving. He yeah. ran the ball 16 times, added a handful of catches. So that was good to see also for those weapons out of the backfield to be able to catch the ball. Uh, the only other thing I'll mention about the wide receivers is that I really thought after the game on Sunday against the Vikings that Justin Ross would get on the field more and that we would maybe start to see him break through. He was non-existent last night, and I thought there were a couple of really good catches he made last week against Minnesota that maybe would have earned him more time on the field. He wasn't there, so I don't know quite what to make of that, but you're right. You know, it's good to see the special team stepping up. There were issues, as you well remember, last season. They couldn't even catch a punt hardly, and so getting a chance to, you know, kind of see that turn around, and Harrison Butker struggled at times last season. It looks like he's fully all the way back, which is good, and then that defense. 
man that defense and i know it's the broncos and i know that it's russell wilson but man that defense is fun to watch and uh you know of course we all know the great things that chris jones can do in anchoring the defense i look forward to seeing charles aminahue back uh you know he hasn't played this regular season he'll be back next week and i think that he'll be able to provide just a, another wrinkle in that defense and man the secondary is good so i get it i understand where you're coming from they didn't score enough points for me to feel totally comfortable offensively moving forward. This just might be the way that it is for Kansas City this year. They're going to make us nervous offensively, potentially the entire year. And, you know, we're probably going to have multiple conversations about, man, if they could only do this or if this would maybe be improved a little bit, that, that just might not be the case. This just might not be the way that we see this team being built. Tommy, coming into that game, Russell Wilson had 11 touchdowns and two interceptions. He had more than 300 yards twice. Uh, the only once has he, you know, the, the opener, he only had 177. But he put up 200 yards passing, essentially, 196 on the Jets, which is what we think a great defense, right? The, the Denver offense has been pretty good. They have been scoring points. They, coming into that game, had 16, 33, 20, 28, 21 points. The Chiefs shut them down. I don't want to discount that just because, oh, it's the Broncos, because the Broncos have not been a bad offensive team this year. And Russell Wilson has definitely not been bad. He's been good. And the Chiefs made them look really bad last night. And, you know, it, it was interesting. I heard Chris Jones after the game, and he talked about, we knew Denver was going to want to run the ball. And Denver ran the ball effectively, too, by the way. Like, they, they rushed the ball well. I don't know why they got away from that in a close game. I can't figure that out. But the Chiefs did it, you know, to their passing game. And, and they terrible, did a great job. And Some terrible coaching decisions by Sean Payton. I know Andy Reid, like, we talked a little bit about some of the play calling. But, man, just some game management decisions that Sean Payton had. The yeah. timeout that he made before halftime that added three points for the Chiefs. And even Payton himself admitted it was a boneheaded mistake and that he lost track why of what down it was. You can't do that. Why weren't they running the ball more? The Chiefs know. were struggling to stop their backs. Like, I, I don't I, – I, and, and it was a close game. Like, they didn't have to switch around and try and throw it that much. And, and the, again, the Chiefs did a good job of long, sustained drives and keeping them off the field and doing all that stuff. But, man, Denver was moving the ball on the ground, and they yeah, were I don't, not through the air. I don't think I don't think Sean Payton is it. I don't think that – I mean – well. Maybe, maybe with a different quarterback. I don't. I, let me say this: the quarterback, I don't think the quarterback wasn't good last no, night, but the quarterback know, but, has not been there. Probably. I know, but let me let me say this: I don't think that the marriage between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson will be a long term one and a fruitful I one. I just don't think that's no, going to happen. So I know that yeah. Russell Wilson hasn't been really to blame for their struggles this season. I just don't think that's a relationship that we're going to see last long term. And I don't know who's going to go first. Uh, you know, it might be Wilson when that contract is up. Um, but man, if, if the Broncos keep losing the way that they do, at what point do you say, may maybe Sean Payton's the problem? I, I don't know. Well, they've got two very expensive problems if it's, you know, sure. one or both of those guys. So they'll have to deal with it. it. It's a mess in Denver, but Kansas city look good. Chiefs get the win. Chiefs fans. You can chime in on the IHOP hotline, eight, six, nine, 1240. When we come back, we're going to switch to a little college football. Voice of the K-State Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, joining us for our weekly visit ahead of what needs to be a big bounce-back game for K-State. We'll talk about it next on Sports Daily.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The commercials are over. Yo, I haven't got all day. 869-1240. Time to get busy. This is Sports Daily on KFH. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor here with you on this Friday edition. Joined now by the voice of the K-State Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, here for our weekly visit. Wyatt, not certainly what we thought we'd be talking about today, but coming off a loss, a very disappointing loss. They've got no time to worry about it, though, because they do technically still control their own destiny, but certainly a different feeling this Friday than last. Oh, without a doubt. It was a really frustrating night on so many levels. I think when you look at it, you look at, I think a lot of people thought that Oklahoma State was down and out. And I understand why they thought that. But I've been down there many times and I knew that, uh, or I felt like anyway, maybe it's probably safer to say it that way, that they were going to fight K-State. I love their plan. I mean, they they were playing loose and we saw a lot of different uh, plays early on that help them in that first drive and you get down early. Then you're down 23-7 early in the third and you, you, you just probably at the end of the day make you know too many mistakes um, to really have a chance to win. And yet they were in the game with you know nine, 10 minutes to go. It was, it was an odd game and a lot of things to clean up, frankly, um, this week without a doubt. White, I've always you know felt like, and I, I know you feel the same way about how good of a game planner Chris Kleiman is and you know being able to eliminate those distractions going into hostile environments and, and all of that there were and you mentioned a couple of them some self-inflicted mistakes on Friday night from the Wildcats that you know obviously Oklahoma State had a good game plan but there were some things that Kansas State did that certainly didn't help their own cause what do you make of that do you think that's just an anomaly, a one-game thing when you're on the road in a weird, hostile environment in Stillwater? Or are there some things that could potentially be concerning moving forward? Well, I think there are some things that you have to be concerned about, if I'm being totally honest, because let, let's just kind of say it here, okay? Will Howard had a, a poor game for him. He just did. In addition to that, K-State had a really difficult time uh, of getting receivers any kind of space at all, whether it was against man or whether it was against zone. And that's been an area that's been a little bit troublesome all year long. And then thirdly, um, I think you'd have to say that the offensive line has not played to the level this year yet that I think all of us thought that they would. So you put all of that together. Uh, I think it, it it's probably a formula where, you're going to see some ups and downs, and we've seen that. We've seen the team be pretty good most of the year on long, sustained drives, but they don't necessarily have a lot of shock plays, and you kind of figured that was going to be the case without Deuce Vaughn, right? Or at least that's the way I saw it. But I thought this team would be 
much more consistent um, in the offensive line play at running the ball. And I thought even even with losing, you know, Cade Warner and Malik Knowles, uh, with Will Howard's experience and with what they thought they had in Keegan Johnson and those kind of things, Ben Sennett, that the, the pass game would be pretty good. But it's been inconsistent. So there are lots of things to work on here that, you know, and, and, and the, just being honest, it, it hasn't gone as smoothly as everybody thought it might, including me. Wyatt, when we look at that, I, and look, I think there was an overreaction, certainly among some loud voices to Will Howard's performance, but I think there was a more sure. general reaction of, why aren't we seeing Avery Johnson then in a game where Will was struggling a little bit just to try and, if nothing else, mix it up, especially considering the fact that Will Howard was actually running the ball kind of effectively, which is in Avery Johnson's wheelhouse, especially as a young player. Sure. Well, you said a lot there, and I think, you know, we, we seem to have this conversation every week, and I, I think the right. fans do too. Um, you know, I, I think I'm – I don't listen to all of the outside stuff all of that much, but you, you have to pay no attention to not hear some of it. And so I, I think a lot of people are saying, well, why not give him a series or two, or why not use him in the quarterback run game in, in Stillwater, kind of, which is what you did at Mizzou. All of that is fair. I don't know that I have a great answer as to why though, that, that they didn't use him the other night, other than what I have been told by, by coach Kleiman. And that was, is that he talked to Colin Klein about it uh, during the game. I think they talked on the headsets about it and, you know, through the conversation decided that it wasn't the best uh, thing at the time. And I don't know that I have a better answer than that. Now, now that leads to this. Will we see Avery Johnson on Saturday night? Well, I would like to say, yeah, but if I'm being a thousand percent honest, I kind of thought we would see him in Stillwater too. So I'm not sure. I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm not the coach, and I don't necessarily have the, the the perfect answer here. But I do think and understand, you know, why the fans want to see him in certain situations. I, I get that. But for whatever reason, and you know, they they keep saying that the red shirt thing is not a factor. And, and so, to me, what that says, tell me what you think, but what that says is, is I just don't know that they wanted to put him in that environment in that particular moment. That's about the best I got. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, Wyatt, I think following up on that a little bit, I mean, we, we obviously know the different kind of wrinkle that he can give, potentially, that offense and, and the skill yeah. set that he brings to the table. <clears throat> I wonder... You know, when you're talking about that kind of environment and you've been down to Stillwater, you know, a lot of different times and you've been in a lot of hostile environments over the course of your career, where does the Oklahoma State experience when a team is on the road, how does that rank in the Big 12? Well, I think for them being right on top of you, it's, it's probably the the hardest place in the league because I'm just telling you guys, I'm, I'm looking out the window of my office visiting with you right now, and I'm looking at our football field from south to north, okay? I don't know the space between the end of the white line on the sideline to the stands, but I'll bet it's at least three or four times more than what you have in Stillwater. It seems like it's like maybe it's eight or ten feet is all there is there. 
And that's just a guess. I've, I've never gone down there and stepped it off or measured it or whatever. But the point is they are right on top of you. It's loud. And I think if you, if you go back and talk about some of the things we did earlier, there, the, 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 a lot of places are loud. And you're right about that. But with, with the paddles and, and the noise and that, um, I mean, there, there was a, a play in the game that kind of, for me, tells you how difficult it is there from time to time where I think K-State had a, I'm going to say maybe a fourth and four that they were going for um, or something to that effect. And all of a sudden you see Will Howard looking to one side and Hayden Gillum snaps the ball. Um, And so who's at fault there? (laughs) Uh, I'm not trying to put blame. I'm just trying to make the point that the communication there is difficult, even when you're going with, you know, almost no verbal communication. It's all, you know, hand signals and whatever it might be. It's still difficult there. It is, in my opinion, the hardest place to play in the league with them being right on top of you if that fan base is into it. And frankly, they were into it. There's no doubt about that. I've brought this up this week, and I saw it. Mike Gundy's won eight out of his last nine at home as an underdog. And they'll be that again this weekend, Mm -hmm. by the way, against KU. So as we look forward to Tech, and and we're looking at Will Howard, you know, he's thrown an interception in every game this year. And, you know, a quick start, but one touchdown to four interceptions the last two. And I'm – I think Will Howard is the guy, right, to get them where they want to go and they control their own destiny. But I, I do, I am so curious about the emotional pulls that have to go on for a guy who has done so much for this program, who was such a great story last year, but who has struggled for the last two weeks now, and and how you balance rolling with that guy that you have so much confidence in while he's struggling. I, how, how does that? You know, any perspective on on how that has to play out, just emotionally, because that's got to be tough for the coaches to see that and and not be able to to help him or make a change or do whatever it is they decide they need to do. Yeah. Well, you covered a lot there, and and let's let's kind of start with Will. From my perspective, I think that's where you got to start, and and I think you bring up some really good points. You know, he he has made some bad throws. I I think. What I would uh, send your way here is, and this is just my personal theory. As I said before, you know, the offensive line has probably not played to the level they wanted to. Probably same with the receivers. Um, I think personally that that puts a little more pressure on Will to make plays. And I do think he's pressing some. And there's a very fine line there with being aggressive uh, and, and then forcing into double coverage and some of the things that we've seen. I think we saw that pretty much on display last Friday night. Um, so how do you fix it? How do you get better uh, very quickly? And in another tough environment this week against probably a better team, at least athletically, at least that's my opinion. I think there's a lot that goes into it. But in visiting with the coaches, I, I think – the message this week is is that they they were hurt by the loss. I'm just going to tell you that it it stings when you lose, especially when you're the favorite and people looked at you as a, a team right from the beginning that could compete for a league title. 
So there's that on the table. But it's it past that, and maybe more importantly, it's it's like the message is it's okay. We're going to let this. We're going to view the film, and we're going to have some very difficult practices and tough this week. But let's go back to being who we are. You know, trying to play mistake-free football, playing better special teams, just being better all across the board. They have been hurt by turnovers. They're not forcing any turnovers, right? So there's a lot on the table there to try to fix. And I guess I'm just trying to say that I think Will, as the leader of this group and the quarterback, is trying to do a lot. And sometimes that kind of gets in the way. I think if he goes back, takes a step back, and just, you know, do what he does and then hope everybody else matches that, I think the results will be a little bit better. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. No, that definitely does. I let's talk a little bit, Wyatt. Yeah. Right, right. I was going to say, let's talk a little bit about Texas Tech, their next opponent down in Lubbock. Yeah. I always like the the anomaly, uh, or I always like the analogy uh, of the immovable object and the unstoppable force, and that's kind of what we've got coming up this weekend with Taj Brooks, the running back for the Red Raiders. He yeah. ranks fifth nationally in rushing yards per game coming off a career high 170 yards on the ground against Baylor. And then on the flip side, we know about Kansas state's uh, rush defense that what they've been able to do against the run this season. What are you anticipating with that matchup this weekend? And then just what Texas tech brings to the table in general. Well, I think Taj and their offense is, is really going to be a big story here. I think when you watch him and I've watched all of their games, a couple of them, twice he's 5'10 and 235 he's very powerful but he he just just the effort is what stands out and he is most difficult to get to the ground he's one of those guys you hit him at four yards and you think you're golden and then he gets two or three more and he does that consistently uh down after down whether it's getting three and ends up with six or getting eight and then he gets 12 you see what I'm saying? He he is a yard maker. He's a north and south guy. He's tough as tough can be. And I, I think you're going to have to really work hard to get him to the ground. I think K-State's defensive front has been good. I think the linebacking play, even without Daniel Green, has been solid. So you hope that that keeps you in the game. And yet this team is one that I, I think they have a lot of guys receiver types whether they're wides slots or tight ends that they use and they're solid too what k-state can't let happen is have them be able to sustain the running game and be able to throw it with success too you have to be able to kind of minimize one if you don't it's going to probably frankly be a hard night part of that is is the old adage you know that they, Taj Brooks can't hurt you, and those other guys can't hurt you if they're on the sideline for 30 or 35 yes. minutes. So that, I think K-State's got to get back to – they've got to find a way, whether it's scheme or better routes or whatever it might be, of getting the ball moved and and, and sustain some things and, and not be and, – and do it mistake-free maybe. That's the, the best way to say it. A lot on the plate well, there for sure. Don't you think why, I mean, everything we've been talking about between struggles in the past, what Texas Tech does well, it feels like to me, and I could be way off on this, it feels like to me this is a game Kansas State's got to run the ball and run it a lot 
and run the ball to keep tech from running the ball. You know, that it, I, I think we've, I think that's gotta be the game plan is to just to, to possess the ball, get K state's run game to help Will Howard, to help that defense and to keep those guys off the field. Yeah. I, I I'm a, in a hundred percent agreement with that, but with, with one addition, I think if you fairly look at K-State's offense to this part of the season, you would probably say up until last week's game that their strength was throwing the ball. Would you say that's yes. accurate or no? I, absolutely. So what yes. I'm saying is, yeah, what I'm saying is, is I think there is an element of being able to pass the ball to set up the run too. You, you have to have a little bit of time uh, to, to do that. This is a team also that this kind of gets underplayed under the radar or whatever you want to say. They have a couple of guys in that secondary that'll knock you around and, and good and pretty good cover guy. <laughs> um, so some of those guys, whether it's Keegan Johnson, RJ Garcia, Jaden Jackson, whoever you want to name, somebody's got to step up and help and it can't just be Will Howard trying to force it to Ben Senate 11 or 12 times, right? Every, for for, for K-State to be what they want to be, I think everybody has to be better. And I mean that seriously. Coach has said this all week long, whether it's to the media or to his team. Guys, it's 11 against 11. Our 11 guys have to work in unison and be good. Uh, and, and I think if, if they can get to that, then they've got a shot. I, I hope that's the case. Yeah, it, it we we time will tell. It's a night game again, uh, so we'll see. Lubbock is also a really rowdy and difficult place to play, uh, and and the yeah. stakes couldn't be higher for this season for K State. All right, Wyatt, what do you guys have coming up on the broadcast here on the K State Radio Network? Well, I'm excited about uh, kind of what's going on this week. I, I really, again, I, I I'm going to be repetitive here and say this: we'll, we're going to break down this this uh, Texas Tech team quite a bit because. I, I think we, we haven't talked about this so much, but I do think this needs to be said. And I know you, you're asking about the, the game and all of that, but um, I, I got to be honest and say there's one or two things about about tech that they kind of find a way to keep you in it once in a while with mistakes of their own. <laughs> uh, and, and I hope that's the case. I just wanted to get that out there because I yeah. think they're well coached. I think they have a good team. And yet, if you look at where – I mean, they were up 17 to nothing in Laramie and lost, okay? They were up against uh, Oregon at home, had things going in their way, and lost. This is not a dominant team, and I think, but I think they're a good team, and they'll be especially good at home. Okay, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. <laughs> in terms of the pregame, I, I, we're going to highlight a couple of guys who I really, really like a lot. Um, one is Marquis Siegel, our new safety from North Dakota State. Um, he's playing probably better than anybody in the secondary right now. And you can say the corners are this and that, and, and that's true. The safety play has been pretty good. So I'm, I'm excited for Marquis. And then the other guy I wanted to talk to, because he has such a big part in the leadership of our team and, and in special teams, which I think will be a key because, and, and watch this too, Tech is good in special teams, have one of the best punters as an example in the country, uh, Seth Porter. He's been around here six years. 
really good young man, and um, so we'll we'll preview those. We'll, we'll have previews with those guys. Uh, of course, you'll hear from Coach Kleiman, coordinators. Um, this is a big game for us, man. Easily, easily. I mean, if you get this one and you got two at home before you go to Texas, people are going to feel a little bit better than they do today. It's all there right in front of them still to reach a Big 12 championship game. That's what's crazy is as bad as that loss was, it's right there. All right, Wyatt, we will listen in this weekend. The game starts at 7. You've got plenty of pregame coverage coming. The home of K-State Athletics right here on KFH. We appreciate it, Wyatt. Good luck. Safe travels down there. You bet, guys. Nice talking to you. Have a good one. Wyatt Thompson for jumping on the show, trying to provide a little perspective on uh, an interesting time for K-State and the program and expectations this year and the future and all of these things sort of colliding in a disappointing loss in Stillwater. Uh, A chance for redemption, though, with a tough road contest here against Texas Tech, a school that probably feels equally desperate and disappointed thus far in their season. Uh, Tech is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. We will pick it coming up in just a little bit with Paul Savage. Uh, Tommy Frank Clark is released by the Broncos. The natural connection there would be that, you know, he could potentially come back to the Chiefs. But I would say this. Do the Chiefs need Frank Clark right now? I don't think they need him for their defense, but I do think that, I mean, he's been, from by all accounts, a, a good locker room guy can be a yeah, leader oh yeah. for the they young like guy. I mean, remember what he did, and it was well-documented, how he helped uh, George Karloftis last season. He could potentially do the same for, like, Felix and Udike Uzama. There are yeah. some other reasons why they might want to have bring him in, in that locker room. Bring him in, put him on ice until playoffs yeah. start, get playoff right. I don't know. I, I don't think there's a big need. I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Uh, 869-1240 on the IHOP hotline. Paul Savage joins us next. We're going to make some picks. Sure to fail. Tommy took that to heart last week. Uh, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it next on Sports Daily. Live Out Mornings with Bob and Tom on 97.5 and 1240 KFH. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.